Morning all. Good to see you all. Let me just move this down to the height of a normal heighted person. Sorry, I was somebody who's just shorter than Andrew. Uh, great to see you all, especially if you're a visitor here with us. Very welcome. I'm glad you're here with us. I hope you feel at ease amongst us. Um, we're going through a series on 1 Corinthians, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you'd like to turn there, that's where I'll be reading from uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen, hopefully, behind us later when I read the passage. Um, uh, for those who have not met before, if you're visiting, I'm James, uh, part, one of the leaders here at New Life. Um, so we're going through 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 14 now. We had a look at uh, prophecy. Uh, first of all, we'd had a look at the, the context for spiritual gifts being a context of love for one another and wanting to do each other good and build one another up. And uh, we're on to having a look at the gift of languages, um, or the gift of tongues, as it's sometimes called as well. Um, so that's what we'll be having a look at today. You heard that phrase, words just don't do it justice. Yeah, Words just don't do it justice. I remember um, I was in Uganda on a gap year and I'd gone off for a couple of weeks for a holiday and we'd been travelling around East Africa and we'd landed up in Zanzibar and we had gone to this uh, kind of bar that was well known for its sunset view and we were looking out over the sea as the sun set down over the sea and there was a beautiful moment it was an incredible sunset a beautiful moment at the end of that when the crowd that had gathered erupted in applause a whooping cheering of a joyful noise um people were talking there was that moment of awe a sense of words didn't do justice but they had to do something to celebrate the moment um and we applauded. And I wonder if you've had one of those moments where words just don't quite do it justice. They just aren't quite enough. Jesus is such a person. Um, we've heard that song, haven't we, that he's ineffably sublime. It means there aren't words enough to describe what Jesus is like. He's someone for whom words just don't do justice. He's incomprehensible. We can't get our heads around him. He's indescribable. We can't use enough words to describe just how good he is. He's unparalleled. There's nothing we can compare him to in the world that would do justice to who Jesus is and what he's like. He's unprecedented. We can't look back further in history and go, oh yeah, he was a bit like, he was like Jesus. No, he's, there's nobody who compares with him. He's limitless. And so he just doesn't, words just don't do him justice. And today we're looking at the gift of languages, of tongues, um, it's a gift from God for those times when we want to praise Jesus and words just don't do justice. They're just not enough. So, should we have a look at this passage together? Chapter 14, verse 6, and we're going to read through to 25. Uh, bearing in mind what we spoke about last week, because I'll probably dip into the, the verses before as well. So, verse 6. Um, oh, I've got the clicker thing, haven't I? Yeah, sorry. Let me school myself in this. There we go. Uh, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct sounds, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... 
if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in the tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face... He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I didn't move these on, did I? There we go. I'm learning. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So if you're not a Christian here today, I wonder if you've heard of the gift of tongues or gift of languages, wondered what it's all about, thought, come that sounds a bit bonkers, that you would supernaturally speak in a language that you didn't learn. Um, uh, Maybe you kind of... Uh, associate it with kind of bonkers church life, you know, spiritual types who are just a little bit out there and a little bit wacko. Um, But hopefully today we'll understand what speaking in tongues and languages is all about. In verse 20 it says to be mature, and we want to be mature in our thinking about this as a church and in the way that we practice speaking in tongues. Uh, So the first thing we're going to think about is what is uh, the gift of languages? Well, the first thing to say is in, in chapter 14, verse 2, in the passage we looked at last week, that it's a way of speaking to God in a language that we haven't learned, uh, we don't understand naturally. It's a gift given by the Spirit to um, Christians to help us pray to God. It's to God, it's pouring our hearts out to Him. So if you look at verse 2 and then verses 14 to 17, it describes the gift of languages as a way of praying, of singing, of giving thanks, of praising God, of uttering mysteries. It's a way of praising God, thanking him. It's to him. And Acts 2 talks about at Pentecost when the first, um, uh, the first uh, kind of members of the church are up in the upper room. Holy Spirit came and filled them. And they started speaking out in languages. They were declaring the works of God, praising him for what he had done. That's what tongues, or gift of languages is. It's also um, spiritual. Verse 14, it says, 
for your mind's unfruitful. It's not engaged, it's, it's not involved, it's your spirit speaking to God. Um, I remember when, uh, in my younger years, when I first encountering people speaking in tongues in church, I remember seeing people, they were clearly speaking in tongues, but they seemed to like be busying themselves with other things and looking around. And I thought, gosh, that looks very unspiritual, you know, speaking in tongues, but they don't seem to really be concentrating very much on the Lord. And if you speak in tongues, in, in languages, you'll understand this dynamic that your, your mind is just not engaged. Your, your mind's unfruitful. It's your spirit speaking to God, giving him praise and thanks. And so you can do other things while you're speaking in tongues. So in, in languages, you can, you can drive in the car. You can be doing the dishes. You can be doing something. Your mind's concentrating on something else, but your spirit is praying to God. Um, I've got a quote here. In fact, I spoke in languages while I wrote this sentence in my notes. I thought I'd give it a go while I was preparing it. I thought, is that the case? I tapped away, wrote that sentence while I was speaking in languages. Um, Your mind's unfruitful. Your spirit's engaging. Because it's spirit-inspired. Chapter 12, verse 11, and then verse 15 in our passage says, pray or to sing with our spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that inspires the gift of languages. He's the one who gives the gift and enables our spirits to pray to God. This is what it, uh, Paul talks about in Romans. You might recognize this verse. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what uh, to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, for something that doesn't do words justice, from our heart, from our spirit, speaking out to God gift of languages, the Spirit inspiring us and helping us to praise Jesus. So it goes beyond words that we know. I was doing some research, found out that there's three million words in the English language, apparently. 290,000 of them are in the Oxford English Dictionary. 200,000 of them are in everyday use. Apparently, individually, we only know tw- 10 to 20,000 words, which I thought was you know, poor showing, given how many words there are, but um, they seem to be enough, don't they? Um, but they're just not quite enough to praise God. So the glory of Jesus outweighs, outweighs our intellectual capacity to put into words our feeling towards him. The glory of Jesus is just too weighty for our words to do justice. And so the Spirit enables us to go beyond those words and the gift of languages to put into words our feelings the weight of his glory. Um, So the gift of languages enables us to praise God, to thank him, to declare his works in a way that's too deep for words. It's also a physical thing. Whilst being spiritual, it's also physical because the thing here has to actually move. It's also a physical thing. Your tongue wags away and words come out. It can be an obstacle if we think of the gift of languages just being entirely um, spiritual. The kind of God, give me the gift of languages. And then wait for something to happen. (laughs) And like all things that are spiritual, there's a physical dynamic. So we're both spirit, but we're also physical. And so it involves stepping out physically and starting to say something. You have to use your tongue for it to happen. Maybe as a helpful analogy. You know those, like a fair or a fate sometimes, they've got those bikes that you ride. And as you ride, it produces something. Like at a school fete last year, somebody, kids would get, get on this bike and as they rode it, it would produce juice because it would kind of like churn away 
of the fruit and produce the juice and after peddling away for five minutes all sweaty the kids would get this tiny little drop of juice that they managed to churn out with the bike and in the same way we we have to kind of pedal we have to use our tongue and step out in faith and begin doing some begin speaking um, in order for us to speak in tongues it's not just a, a, a spiritual it's a physical thing as well and the other thing is it's in need of in, an interpretation. When we bring something publicly, we're intending to bring it for the body to build up um, us as a church. We need an interpretation. Uh, I remember when I was young and kind of thinking through uh, the gift of languages. Um, I used to think, oh, is that somebody brought that um, language and then they brought the interpretation. I thought they were different lengths. I wasn't quite happy about it. I thought that he spoke for at least a minute and 15 seconds and this person brought an interpretation for 44. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I was like, there were some words repeated here and I couldn't clinically analyse quite which words were were which and I wasn't quite happy about it. Um, And uh, when we talk about an interpretation, we're not talking about a translation. It's not a word for word what the person said. An interpretation brings a summary of what was brought by the person who brought the language. Um, so it may well be shorter. Um, it may well you know, not be in the same kind of length or rhythm of the language because it's a summary of what the person has said. So that's what it is. But what does it do? Well, firstly, there's a, a positive effect privately. Uh, verse 4, it's to build up ourselves. It's to do ourselves good, to strengthen us. Um, It's to encourage us to um, spiritually edify ourselves. To edify means to build ourselves up, do ourselves good. Um, So I brought along some mega blocks of my own here. If you'll uh, permit me for a minute to show you what me and Seb's get up to on a daily basis. So if you're speaking in languages, what you're doing here is you're, you're building yourself up. You're placing block upon block and bringing strength to yourself as you speak in languages and speak in, in tongues however you want to put it you're building yourself up brick upon brick bringing yourself strength bringing yourself solidity bringing a resilience to yourself spiritually um, and imagine if you kind of now just poured the concrete on as you speak in different languages you're bringing a strength and a solidity just like concrete would solidify this structure now That's what we're doing when we speak in languages, if we do. We're building ourselves up, strengthening ourselves, making ourselves secure and solid uh, spiritually. Um, uh, You might uh, have heard of that passage when David um, strengthened himself in the Lord. It says this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. When we, that's what prayer and praise always does. Regardless of whether it's in English or your mother tongue or in languages, it's always praise and prayer and worship to God strengthens us. It builds strength in our spirits and does us good. So if you go through times of feeling stressed, of anxious, of life circumstances, you're in a storm, the gift of languages can help strengthen us bring a solidity to us, a resilience through those trials and difficulties, through the cost of following Jesus. Um, So that's a positive effect privately. There's also some positive effects publicly. 
Uh, verse 16, it talks of an inquirer or a visitor coming into the meetings. It's talking about somebody who's kind of not quite initiated in the faith. They might be a Christian, might not be, but they're exploring things and trying to understand things for themselves. It says that they can say, Amen, if we pray for the power to interpret what's brought, and so can we as a church family. See, when we pray in this setting here on a Sunday gathering or in your house groups, this isn't private, this is corporate. This is for us as a church family to do us good, to pray together, to encourage one another, build each other up. So when someone else prays, we can say amen along to that. I agree with that. That's my prayer too. That's what amen means. That's my prayer. Whatever he, she prayed, that's my prayer too. I believe that. That's my own prayer. I'm claiming it for myself too. So that's why you hear people kind of bursting out in prayer amongst us when we're in worship. Maybe the song ends and people carry on. Part of that is encouraging one another, stirring one another on to, to pray. And you can say amen along to the things that you hear people praying out because we're doing this together. So wherever the prayer might be coming from, those around can hear and be encouraged and say, yeah, amen, that's, that's my prayer too. And so what Paul's saying is that... Um, when we bring an interpretation of a tongue, it's a prayer to God. We bring the interpretation, everybody understands what the person who brought the language was saying, and then we can all go, Amen. Yes, that's my prayer too. What they prayed from their spirit there, spirit-inspired, is my prayer too. I believe that too, and it encourages us and builds us up. Um, A third positive effect is that it's the body working together. Um, It affirms our need for one another. Because the person who brings the tongue and the interpreter are basically no good without each other. Because you can bring the, the language, great, but nobody understands what you said. You could interpret, but if you've got no language brought, then you've got nothing to interpret. So it brings this wonderful dynamic of the body that was in chapter 12 that we talked about, where we rely on one another. It kind of rids us of our independence and our sense of, I've got everything sorted on my own because the person who brings the language and the interpreter both need one another to build us up. And it's a reminder that we all receive from the same spirit. It builds unity amongst us as we depend on one another. Just in the way we talked about last week about the prophetic. Somebody brings prophetic, somebody else brings clarity or brings meaning, etc. We work together as a body to piece these things together and it's the same when a tongue or a language is brought. Um, The fourth effect. Verse 10. It's a reminder of our mission to the nations. It mentions how there's different languages in the world to communicate the gospel through. Um, Acts 2, um, when Pentecost happens and they begin, the disciples start speaking in different languages and proclaiming the wonders of God and his works to people in their own languages. Um, The gospel is going out. Um, It's a reversal of what happened in the story of Babel. Do you remember the story of Babel? Um, People, the people on the earth were all of one language and of one mind in that they wanted to be equal with God. And they said, we'll build a tower tall enough to reach the heights of God and we'll we'll have equality with him. And God, as an act of judgment, brings multiple languages in order to confuse their languages so that they can't talk to one another and build the tower. 
When Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit fills the disciples, all of them, and they start speaking in languages, it reverses that judgment. And now people of every nation, tribe and tongue, are hearing the gospel in their own language. And so when we hear a language in our meetings, it's a reminder that the gospel is for the nations. It's for people, regardless of which country they're from or which language they speak, that Jesus wants his gospel to go to the nations because the nations are his inheritance and they're the church's inheritance. But there can also be a, a negative effect and Paul focuses that he's spoken verse 12 um, about the point he's been persistently making which is that when we gather, to gather together it's for building one another up. It's for each other. It's for our benefit. And so in verses 6 to 11 he starts to address the, the nature of the Corinthian meetings. I think we talked about this before, that their meetings were utterly chaotic. It was this hyped, ecstatic, crazed atmosphere, people speaking out all over the place in their mother tongue, in languages, and there was no order to it. It was totally confusing, totally kind of, what's going on here? Kind of crazy, hyped atmosphere, a disorder to it. And he brings a series of analogies that challenge their, the nature of their gatherings. It says, verse 10, Otherwise the person bringing the language and the rest of the church, he says, who don't know the language, are like foreigners to one another. And it doesn't build up the church, which is the point of gathering. In verse uh, 21, he quotes from Isaiah. And then in verse 22, this is quite a confusing bit. I don't know if you read that. The, you know, a sign to believers and a sign to unbelievers. What's he, what's he talking about there? And the quote from Isaiah, how does it fit? And this was a tricky bit to get ahead round. <laughs> but this is what I think he's saying, is that what kind of sign is it? Well, he's calling to mind in that Isaiah passage a time when the people of God had been unfaithful and disobedient towards God. And as an act of judgment, God had exiled them to Babylon. And now they were surrounded by strange tongues and lips of foreigners. So God had judged them, but they didn't hear the message because they were surrounded by people whose languages they didn't understand. And so they were confused. And it didn't lead them as a people to repentance and obedience. Instead, it led them to confusion. And what Paul's saying is, is that we don't want that to be the experience of people who are inquiring about Christianity and about Jesus in our meetings. We don't want them to be confused. We don't want them to not understand the message of grace, of forgiveness through Jesus on the cross. We've got an incredible message to talk about, that a God who is perfect and holy and blameless has become a man, died on a cross, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with God again, and that we don't have to do anything to attain that. He's just given us it freely. And now we can relate to God on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. And regardless of what we do or don't do, that will never change. Our relationship with God remains the same. He loves us on into eternity. What a message to bring. So what we don't want is people coming in and being totally confused about what's being said. We want them to hear the message so that they can say, yes, like all of us, we've done things wrong. But if I repent, say sorry to God for the things I've done, he leads me to forgiveness and tells me that he loves me for eternity. We want people to hear that message. And I hope if you're a visitor, you're an inquirer, you're asking questions of Christianity, you've been hearing that message as you've been coming here on Sundays. 
there's a God of love who loves you, sent his son to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven. So this spiritual chaos might bring initial intrigue from inquirers, but without interpretation, they miss out on understanding the gospel message, and they can't join in, verse 16, and say, Amen, to the thing that the person brought. So the third and, and final thing is, how does this work in practice? Everything has its right context, doesn't it? So I love breathing. Anybody else love breathing? Such a great thing to do. Um, Breathing in oxygen brings you life. Uh, I love breathing all the time. But there's a right place for breathing. When I'm underwater swimming, I don't breathe. It It would do me no good. There's a context, isn't there, for breathing. When there's air available. When there's not air available, don't do it. It's not the right context for it. And it's the same with tongues. It's the same with gift of languages. There's a right context for it, and there's a wrong context for it. So what is the right context for a mature use of the gift of languages, and how should it work in practice? Well, firstly, privately, we should earnestly desire the gift of languages. We should ask God for it and step out in faith and begin to speak. Um, I speak in languages, and the, when it, it first happened, was I was in my second year of uni, I'd become aware of the gift of languages and wanted to speak in it because I knew it would do me good. And so I remember in my student house, in one of those, you know, in the student houses, you have the front door goes into a lounge. But because in student houses, a lounge is a waste of time. And what you really need is an extra bedroom. So that was my bedroom. I'm in a double bed looking up at this ceiling, um, noticing that actually I, I don't live in that great a house, but trying to focus as well at the same time on asking God for the gift of languages and being distracted by the mould in the corner of the room. Uh, and I remember just asking God, Lord, give me the gift of languages, and then beginning to speak out. Um, and I did it for a series of nights, and I began to speak something. I was like, gosh, that sounds unusual. Um, sounds a bit bonkers, actually. I'm being nuts. a silly thing to do. And stop, go to sleep. Um, but kept coming back to it. Um, and if you ever started speaking in languages, you'll have had that kind of experience of, like, your mind's unfruitful, so you're a little bit like, what on earth is going on? What am I doing here? This is pointless. But the truth of Scripture is that it's doing you good. It's building you up. It's strengthening you. Um, so we need to hold in tension, though, that not all speak in languages, because Paul says that. Do all speak in tongues? No, no they don't. So there's, if you don't get given the gift, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> there's no sense in which you're a second-class Christian, the ones who speak in languages and tongues, the ones who don't. There's no sense of that. The Spirit gives gifts as he pleases, and uh, we're, just, uh, we're just called in Scripture here to earnestly desire them, to ask for them for ourselves. The key message is ask. So uh, later on in the meeting... We'll have a time when we're responding in worship. And if you don't speak in languages, but you do, we're going to take time to pray for you. Uh, it says earnestly desire. So we're going to see if there's some amongst us who earnestly desire that gift and want to speak in tongues. We'll make opportunity to pray for you that God would give you that gift by his spirit. So that's privately. Uh, publicly, we're to earnestly desire the gifts of languages and interpretation to build us up as a church. Now, how does that work? If you've got the gift of languages, 
it's worth bearing in mind, when might God be prompting you to bring a language? And that's kind of difficult to teach on because there isn't really any um, kind of uh, biblical verse to point to and go, that's, that's what it's going to look like. But I can maybe just speak from personal experience how it works for me. I can be here praising in worship and then something in my spirit, I don't know if you get it, where you know you're meant to bring something, a prayer, a prophetic word, an encouragement, whatever, and my heart just goes, like this, oh, I'm meant to bring something. And usually something's going through my head and therefore I bring it. But sometimes that happens and nothing's going through my mind, but I feel a real burden to bring something. And then I know... I'm going to bring a gift of languages because my mind's unfruitful, but I've got this strong sense of burden that I should bring something. And so for us, if you speak in different languages, bear that in mind as you're worshipping. It's God asking you to bring the thing that is kind of welling up inside of you. Um, So when the person brings the language, we don't understand what they're saying. Um, so we use the time to ask God for the interpretation. So when somebody comes up to us here and or somebody says from their seat, starts bringing a language, or they come and tell us we're going to bring a language, as whoever's hosting the meeting, it be off- helpful for us to explain what's going to happen. We might give the explanation before or after. It doesn't matter too much. But as long as it's explained, so-and-so just brought a language, it's a gift given by God to speak in, to God, to pray to him, da, 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 uh, so that people who are coming in understand what's going on. So that somebody doesn't start speaking in another language very loudly and everybody go, well, what's, what's that about? Um, so we, we'll do that. And then we'll, once the person's brought the language, we'll ask for an interpretation. And that can be quite awkward, can't it? <laughs> At those moments where somebody brings a tongue, and then we said, we're just going to wait for an interpretation. <laughs> Anybody else feel quite awkward in that moment? But that's part of the dynamic of the body working together. There should be a slight kind of tension of, oh, we're kind of relying on each other here and uh, praying for an interpretation. If an interpretation isn't forthcoming, we might, whoever's leading the meeting, encourage us to pray together for the power to interpret. I'd probably ask the person who brought the language do you think you could ask God for the interpretation for yourself? And maybe we'll ask God together as a church for an interpretation so that an interpretation can be brought. So, so that the interpretation comes, we all say amen along with the person and are encouraged. What if there's still no interpretation? Apart from tumbleweed drifting across the front here. <laughs> well, we need to not be too tense about these things. There's a sense in which we're learning we go, oh, okay, oh well, we hope for an interpretation, one hasn't come, never mind, we're learning, let's continue to pray together as a church for the inter- for interp- the gift of interpretation, so that when somebody brings a language, we can understand what is said. Sometimes you get a, 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 somebody bring a language, and then somebody brings an interpretation, but it's directed to us as people, as if God were bringing a message through the person who's speaking tongues to the to us as a church. What's going on there? Because the Bible's really clear. Tongues are to God. They're thanks and praise to him. So what is it about, what's that dynamic? What's going on there? Well, it may well be that the person feels something prophetically. It's a message for us as a church. And we just need to wait on that for a minute, hear the interpretation, and then come back to the prophetic word. 
Um, sometimes the gift of tongues will kind of bring forth the kind of prophetic and wake up the prophetic gifting uh, within us. Um, and sometimes it could just be that the person is bringing the interpretation, but they flip the language around. Let me give an example. So the person bringing the interpretation says, God says, put your trust in him. Whereas what the person might, they might be bringing the interpretation, but the person said, God, I trust in you. But they flip the language around. So they are bringing the interpretation, but they've just angled the, rather than pointing the interpretation this way, they've pointed it this way. And the language just needs to flip around. God says, put his trust in you. No, God, I put my trust in you. Sometimes you get a second interpretation. One person brings one, another person brings one. Is that a bit awkward? Is this person here who brought the second interpretation going, that person got it wrong. This is what I think. Is there some sort of like spiritual fight going on between these two people as to which one's the right interpretation? Well, sometimes it can be that you know, one interpretation perhaps gets a, a better sense of it than another. Or it could be that there's a blend of the two that we've had two interpretations and it's kind of together a summary of what the person was saying. But the reality is we're working it out. We're learning as a church to operate in the gifts. Um, So that's what might be going on there. So the question comes then, in our dynamic of meeting together as a church, should we forbid the speaking of tongues? So you might have heard people around you maybe muttering away in tongues, praying um, themselves, Um, Or maybe they're singing in English and then switching into tongues and switching back to English. Should we we say, um, is Paul saying here, and is the right application, if you're not bringing it publicly so we can all hear it, as some people have said, you should shut up. Is that what he's saying? Um, That doesn't sound to me quite right in terms of applying what Paul's saying. I'll give some reasons why I think that's the case. Um, verse 39 uh, later on in the chapter he says do not forbid speaking in tongues so therefore quite obviously it would be wrong of us to go do not speak in tongues in a meeting okay so that's one thing to bear in mind and the next is that gifts thrive in the right context we've got to think about what was the context Paul was addressing in Corinth he was addressing this crazed hyped ecstatic atmosphere that's causing huge confusion amongst themselves. They were puffed up, concerned for their own spiritual fix, chaotic, talking over one another, confusing, crazy atmosphere. Is that our context today? No. (laughs) This is not a crazed, hyped, ecstatic atmosphere. If anything, in the West, we suffer from the opposite extreme, which is, is anybody mildly excited about this thing of forgiveness that's meant to bring us joy we're the opposite end of the scale we have our own extreme in the west here in 2019 so we need to bear that in mind we're we're individualistic still but we're very reserved in britain stiff upper lipped we're um uh we can suffer maybe not from being puffed up but from a sense of false humility oh i couldn't contribute anything here i wouldn't have anything to bring Um, We can uh, be clinically orderly to almost stifling. You've got to have your ducks in a row. If they're not in a row, it's no good. Um, As if that were God's ways. 
I think that's more of a cultural thing, and it can stifle the atmosphere a little. And we can be overly analytical as a culture, given to rationalism. We don't have a crazed, hyped atmosphere. We have the atmosphere where the tumbleweed's drifting across the floor sometimes, and we're thinking, uh, there's a sense of God is really amongst us. And we have to question, you know, sometimes, does it feel like that? Is, it, is that as actually? I mean, he is, because he's present in his people. But he should be bringing us joy, and that should find its way into some sort of expression. Um, so we need to be careful about taking Paul's application to the Corinthians and just switching it across to us and going, this is how things should happen. Um, so um, what's the middle ground in these things? Well, here's some helpful things. Order doesn't quite have to mean one at a time. Could we all sing out in English at the same time and pray together in English at the same time and it be valuable? Yes, of course we could. Yeah. We see that in Acts 4, the church prayed out together, and at the end you see a summary of what the church prayed. Does that mean all one rule? No, they were praying all at the same time, and then in Scripture we see a summary of what they did. So when we sing out together and pray out together, and that might be in and out of tongues, I think we can bring a summary of what's, what's the heart of what we're, we're doing as a church in terms of our praise uh, to God. Um, and that can not be chaotic, confusing, and unhelpful. Um, it's a bit like if you have different instruments just playing different sounds all the time. They're playing different songs. You've got trumpet, trombone, cello, etc., etc., all playing different songs in the same room at the same time. That's the kind of atmosphere of Corinth. Whereas if you've got a beautiful orchestra playing together at the same time, that's a different kind of atmosphere. It's a, a, hum, a harmony. and We're working together as a body to bring praise to God. Uh, secondly, uh, in verse 23 it says, will they not say you are out of your minds? So is he talking about if they're all speaking in languages over one another in this crazed hyped atmosphere, that doesn't quite equate to our uh, context like I've said, where we bring it in quite an orderly way. Does that mean that if people hear, so like if you're muttering away in tongues in a meeting, and somebody overhears you, is the application of that, that that person who's just come in as an inquirer is going to think you're out of your mind? And I don't think that's quite what Paul's saying. What he's saying is, they'll say you're out of your minds because of this crazed, wild, hyped atmosphere. He's not saying if the person hears tongues in our context here that they'd be saying the same thing. Why is that? If somebody hears the gospel message through an interpretation of tongues, or through somebody speaking at the front, are they going to think we're out of our minds? If we preach the gospel, absolutely. Because the gospel is foolishness to people. So look, you can have an interpretation, you can preach the word really clearly, and it still be totally bonkers to the person who came in, and they say, you're out of your minds. Because that's the nature of the gospel message. A third thing, Paul's arguing for the context of spiritual gifts to be love and our gift of languages to be, enables us to express our love towards God. He's not saying we shouldn't ever use the gift of language, I don't think, in gatherings. or I don't think that would be entirely helpful all the time because it could quash what we're actually trying to build up. What we need to do in our context is build up a sense of it's important to express emotion and love and affection towards Jesus together as a family. It's appropriate. 
what he's done for us and who he is should move us to express ourselves towards him. And so if we quash tongues in our meetings, languages in our meetings, which is a love language towards God, we could be in danger, I think, of trying of suppressing something which will actually help us do what we want to do more, which is express our love towards God well and to express um, passion and affection. Um, Mike Betts writes this, Paul urged love as the context for corporate church life and therefore spiritual gifts also only work as intended in that environment. Love as an atmosphere is not clinical or sterile, it stirs affection and emotion. Lovers often find it hard to contain emotion and express in a rational way the affection they feel for their beloved. Love that desires Christ with strong affection and love that desires the blessing and upbuilding of one another. So, what we would say is don't hold back publicly in gatherings from wanting to express your love towards God or to share, but bear in mind as well that let's not be lazy in understanding whether God wants us to bring that to benefit us all. Because what's clear from what Paul says is that it's better to have five words in English or our mother tongue to instruct than it is to have 10,000 words in tongues. So whilst we don't want to suppress that atmosphere and that sense of wanting to express our love and affection, we also don't want to get to the point of laziness where people aren't bringing languages. Like if you've got the gift of languages, I think we want to feel provoked. Why isn't it that we're bringing that more often so the rest of us can be built up? Because that's what the gift of languages is for. It's to build up ourselves, but it's also to build up the body so we can all agree with your prayer. So if you speak in languages, be provoked. Does God want you to bring that more often to our meetings rather than just personally when we're singing and speaking along together? Um, Yeah, I think I've covered that. The fourth thing was we should leave... Leaving freedom can be beneficial for building ourselves up. For example, now we're, if the band want to come back up, that would be really helpful. Now we're about to ask God to give the gift of languages. <laughs> what we don't want people to be worrying is, oh, am I speaking languages too loudly? Do I need to, does somebody need to bring an interpretation? We want now to create an atmosphere where you can begin speaking in languages for the first time. And you having to worry about whether the interpretation's coming is not going to quite help you. So feel free now when, you, um, when you're prayed for to, to begin speaking in languages. And given the context of what I've just said, hopefully that'll, that'll be all right.